And welcome to Diamond Dreams Miami Up and In, episode 53. And Mike, as we get into the higher numbers, it's going to become kind of difficult to find. We're going to have to start looking at football right? jerseys. <laughs> yeah, like I'm already thinking 54. All I can think about is Zach Thomas. That's it. But 53, Bobby Abreu. Bobby That's Abreu. Never forget that All-Star Game home run derby performance where he hit like 43 in the first round. And then he didn't win the home run derby. And his second half of the season was absolute garbage. <laughs> he was so bad the second it, half. It you happens. know what I mean? It, it happens. happens. But, um, but yeah, episode 53, intro music by DJ ADSR, our boy Wilbur Reyes. He has a pretty cool series on on Instagram and YouTube. Yeah, I think he's maximizing the IG, the blue check, as much as possible. He's doing a great job. Thanks for the intro, uh, Wilbur. We I love it. I need to ask him, where does he post up, man? Because you see those nice houses in the back? Yeah. The yachts in the background, drinking his water, doing his dance. Yep. A very special show today. Uh, we have a, a special guest. But before we begin, this is brought to you by, as always, by Diamond Juice Miami Diamond, Academy. Diamond Juice Miami Baseball. Uh, registration is open. Uh, kids ages uh, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 right now at the moment uh, into our rookies program. We have a nice daddy and me, mommy and me, 2 and 3-year-old class that we do on Fridays. And we have our rookie program Wednesdays and Fridays. Registration is open for that. So if you want to play with us in the spring, want to get yourself onto a t-ball team or a coach pitch team or a kid pitch team, and you're on the team right now, now is probably a good time to get started with us. Absolutely. And also brought to you by Armando Arbors. I'm a real estate agent. So if you want to buy, sell, have a cafecito and talk shop, He's hey, your guy. contact me. You know, the, the, the market's so nuts, bro. It's yeah. absolutely nuts. And people are like, hey, is it a good time to buy? Yeah, of course it's a good time to buy. You could always refinance later on. Stuff is still getting more expensive, you know? And then I had people that six months ago told me, is it a good, ask me, is it a good time to buy? They didn't buy. Now, six months later, they're like, oh, wait, that house, you know, it's 800000 now instead of 600000 Well, you know, you should have bought back then. Should have listened um, to your... And they're, they're looking again. But, you know, today it came out Miami, well, Florida in general, but South Florida is, is I think, fifth in the nation as the most exp the most valuable like for for properties most valuable for properties surpassing uh, Florida surpassed New York so we're we're more expensive than New York than California I the, the values I, are going up Miami is on a great part of the United States man you know we're on a great tip we got the Caribbean we got the waters we got everything sunlight we got some storms we got some bad stuff but in my opinion the goods outweigh the bad man and everybody everybody's saying you know you know we're We've avoided so far, you know, knock on wood, a, a hurricane. And I'm like, who cares if we avoid a hurricane? There's a mini hurricane every, every single day. afternoon here. It's, it's right pretty at pick up, Right at after school pickup when you go pick up And right kids, during practice, you know, during baseball wow. practice. Yeah. Yeah. We're a little behind in the schedule. We canceled six practices last week because wow. of the weather. So this week we're, we're good. We're up to date. But, you know, we got to do some makeups. Absolutely. You'll get them. I promise. You're going to get them. <laughs> Just be patient. Schedule stick. But, yeah, you know? so follow me at, at Armando Alvarez Realtor. Follow me at Diamond Dreams Miami. You can reach on my cell, 305-219-2957. Yep. And today, we're also brought to you by Hitting 365 because we have a very special guest. You might remember him as the catcher for the Miami Hurricanes. Got drafted in 2004 by the Montreal Expos in the second round. I was actually there at his house that day he got drafted. We went with uh, Channel 6 and Canal 51 to, to do some interviews. Eric San Pedro. Thank Welcome you guys to the show. For, thank you guys for having us. It's uh, obviously exciting uh, to be a part of the show and can't wait to get started and dive into, you know, what the last 10, 15 years have looked like <laughs> after baseball. You know, you know, let's go back real quick. Montreal Expos. That was yep. the last draft class of you, the Montreal Expos. Was it? Yeah. What year was that? 04. 
the last awesome. draft class Before of the, the Montreal took over Expos. Yep. That's history. Yep. Can you erase that? So by the time you got drafted, they were already owned by MLB, right? They were owned by Major League Baseball. They were playing out of Puerto Rico, and Bud Seely was the GM. I got the call <laughs> from him to congratulate me on being drafted because they didn't have you know ownership. Wow. So, yeah, Jeffrey Loria sold it. He came here, won a World Series, and then dismantled the team. But hey, I think the other day, I think like the final player that ever like it's it's over like that's it like there's nobody around anymore that's played no more like marquis yeah, yeah, yeah like they're done yeah. you know montreal man they're trying to bring it back they're a big yeah. baseball community and i know that they're pushing to see if there's a way to get the expos back into montreal or you know open up a, another franchise i don't know if that'll ever you know pan out but i know that they are a big baseball community and they do love the sport and it'd be nice to to you know have another presence in, in canada and in, in the major leagues you know oh, and sweet sweet hats Yeah. Three uniforms, yes. period. Yes. They're definitely good throwbacks. Absolutely, man. But, Eric, to kick off, you know, we've had guys, uh, you know, throughout our 53 episodes here at uh, Up and In that have played in the minors, played college ball, et cetera. And we, we ask each and every one of them, and we'll ask you, how, how were your beginnings in baseball? When, when did you start playing, and when did you fall in love with the sport? So I started playing at a very young age, um, You know, since I could remember, it was, a, it was a passion. It was something I'd go to sleep thinking about, wake up thinking about, you know, spent the days in school thinking about. So it's one of those things that it's, it was kind of like in my DNA. It's like I couldn't get away from it. And even as a kid, you know, I would have the options to go to a party or a vacation or Disney or whatever. And I was always not I'd rather go to the tournament or play the game. Um, so since I was four, I've been playing uh Remember the first time we got into kid pitch, um, I was playing third base, and my dad told me not to, you know, pick the catching position because that's what he played, um, to stick to third or first because, uh, you know, I had pretty good, did a good job when I was younger. But I saw that blue shiny gear. It was free. I was like, is that mine if I catch? <laughs> and then sure enough, I got behind the plate. He couldn't take me to that first practice. And the minute we started throwing the ball around, that, it was a lock. Like, like, I locked it in. They were like, he's the only kid that can make the throw. He can catch the ball. And I – caught my entire life for the most part I did a little bit of pitching when I was younger but um from an early age I you know I loved the game it was something that I couldn't get away from and I still can't get away from and where did you start playing first um I started playing at Hialeah Curley um played at Babcock Park I think that was uh you know there was only three places Hialeah Curley Tamiami Flagab and they had a draft and you go into the draft and you get rated as a, you know based on your talent and your ability and I remember it was a fall and a spring. There was no summer. It, yeah. The fall, which was La Corta, the, the short season was 40 games. And La Laga, the spring, was like 70 games. But it, ah. was, it was practice or a game, you know. And, and there were, you had pitch counts, uh, not pitch counts, innings uh, limits. And there were certain things that I feel that were more valuable than today's game. They grouped the ages. So it was like seven and eights, nine and tens. It wasn't just six, six you, seven eights. So, like. You know, you have to go through the growing pains. Then you become one of the older kids in that age group, you know, and you're probably one of the studs. And then all of a sudden you're back to the rookie, you know, and having to figure out how to get back to where you were, figure out how to compete at a higher level, which, again, uh, brings the, the development aspect to baseball, which I feel is a little lost nowadays when everybody's just playing in that same age group. And even if they're playing up, it's, it, the competition is not as, you know, The quality in the competition is not as there. It's a little bit diluted. There's a lot of teams, um, and there were minimal academies. And the academies really did focus a little bit more on development. But 
There wasn't a lot of um, places that you can go to and play. It was either you can play or you can't, and you had to, right. you know, pick and choose what you wanted to do after that. Yeah, because I remember in Tamiami, it was the you had the Adams, you had the Bantams, you had the Midgets, and it was mm-hmm. always it was two age. Yeah. It was two age divisions. It was always double. You age. know, and it's funny because I have. You know, and, and and it's a struggle now, and you're right about that because now you have the T-ball division, you have six U by itself, seven U by itself. But when you get to kid pitch now, and you're going to play modified, it's an eight nine mix, okay? So, like for example, my seven U's that were pretty good that are now in the eight nine mix, they're an eight U, but having to explain them that hey, you're the new ones, mm-hmm. you're going to take your hits. It's tough. They they it's like they want that instant, you know, and you got to explain to them. Listen, yep. in a year. You're going to be the nines, and you're going to be – but that's how it was back then. I was, I and I felt like. that that kept you a little more humble, and your perspective was always better, I thought, because it wasn't just, okay, going – because, like, I have a 6U team, right? They won the back-to-back championships, the white team. They're 7U now, right? If they don't win, it's going to be an issue. You know what I'm saying? Like, they – because they, they don't understand the struggle of having to play the older kids like we did. And I think I it, built, the, it, it builds character. No, you know, and, it builds character, it builds uh, and you were forced, work ethic. And you were forced to do a lot more things when you were playing with older kids. You were forced to pay attention a little more. And not just that, you better pay attention, you might get smoked. It's a little different, you know what I mean? And then now what you find is like in the 6U division or the 7U division, it's 7-6 seven, six or 6-5. Six, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of like you're always... Yeah, it's, def- it's, it's yeah. definitely different. Things different. have changed, and I think, you know... Us, the, the 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 coaches of this you know era or generation it's our responsibility to try and educate parents and players both as to what the purpose of playing baseball and what what this is all about you know there's a lot of private coaches a lot of facilities out there now there's so much information that you know people get lost into process and routine so instead of finding what works they're always looking for the next thing you know what I mean like the being good or or uh, allowing, playing this game for a long time, uh, you need to be consistent. You need to be repeating certain things. And nowadays with, you know, the amount of teams, tournaments, uh, school, you know, it, it takes away from development. It takes away from practice. So it's something that needs to kind of change. And I think it's we have to, you know, educate parents and players as to what is the best route for each kid because each kid is going to have a different journey. You know, like finding that fit for them and, where they can play high school, where they can play college, and be realistic with their expectations and hopes as to, like, okay, what can we get out of baseball? And that that's very good because it leads me to my next thing. Like, a, a kid that stays with you longer is going to be much more beneficial and better for you because you're going to know him better. You're going to get to know him better. You're going to see more things in the swing. You're going to see his development. I think that um, independent thinking is huge when it comes to parents because – you know, you have a, I have two daughters, but, oh, I'm going to get lessons with that guy because this guy's getting lessons with that guy. And it can't be like that. Like, there's so many instructors, so many facilities that you're saying, go, you find the one that is your guy. And then when you find that guy, man, hold on to him because he's going to give you the best chance to stay with him long term. You know what I'm saying? Like, we have kids in the academy, our, our, our best kids. And in my opinion, you know, we have one of the better 11U teams, you know, and, Abraham, Victor, those guys are A1 guys, you know? They've been only here six years. Never deviated. That gives me a huge advantage. You know what I'm saying? And that's on a, on a team spectrum. And an individual one-on-one spectrum or the group spectrum, 
damn, man, you, you got to keep that guy around for a long time. Do you, do you find a lot of well, turnover, or how is it? Well, that that's kind of like our – the first thing we do is kind of run an assessment, evaluation, and the first thing I always say is this is a relationship, all right? The more we work together, the more I, I get to know you, the more I know which buttons to push. I know when, when to, to squeeze, when to back up, right, when to give you some space and freedom, and then – you know, hold you accountable. So it, it, it is a relationship and it's, it's a two way street. Like if the player's able to communicate, no matter the age makes our life easier. Cause we're not guessing. We understand what you're going through. You're able to communicate to us what you're feeling, what your at bats in the games are like. And it gives us the best chances of helping you get to where you want to get to. Um, so you're totally right. This is a relationship and right out the gate, I, I established that I established process um, and then we let the parents and the players decide, all right, is this the place for you? Is this a good fit? Did you enjoy? Did you learn? Did you have fun? Cause it is, it, it needs to be fun. If it's not fun, you know, we, we got, we got a problem. And one of the other things too, that as of recent, we try to establish too, is their purpose. Why are they coming here? Was it dad that brought you here? Did you ask your dad to come here? Um, is it because you're struggling and want to get better? What is the purpose? Why do you play baseball? What's your purpose? And through those series of questions, we, we get the player to start opening up and answering some questions. They feel a little bit more comfortable, but we start to get an idea of, you know, where his head is at. Again, because you got a 10-year-old kid that can be really mature in talks, and you got a 14-, 15-year-old high school player that can't is a yes-man and can't say a word. <laughs> yeah. So, like, it, every, every case <laughs> is different. Um, but establishing a relationship, communicating with, with transparency and, and, you know, the, the hard truths – is, is important because ultimately they're here to get better. If you're just telling them what they want to hear and you're at a boy, good job, and they're not really learning, they're never going to take it to the game. And this business is really revolved around word of mouth. You know, the players are our marketing tools. If they succeed, we Absolutely. succeed because then we get other players and other families from the teams or, and, and they see the, the improvements and the development and then they inquire about who we are and then, so on and so forth, and, and that's how we got to where we're at today. And I'm going to ask you in a little bit about back to to kind of like your, your baseball journey, but this is a good topic because, you know, we, we grew up, we the three of us grew up playing baseball. I played at Pacual. I didn't play in, you know, Tamiami or or any of the, uh, or Flagami, but Pacual was pretty big, you know, and boys club also we played, you know, 9 and 10, 7 and 8, et cetera, et cetera. But back then... You don't remember having so many, you know, especially like a facility like this. This is awesome. No, this is awesome. You know, like the, I remember going to two hitting instructors throughout my life. And one was Avelio Hernandez, who I think played in the majors, older Cuban guy. My dad was an older Cuban guy. Went with an older Cuban guy. And then um, when I was in high school, I took some lessons from Willie Cabinho, who was a, a, a scout with the, with the Astros, played a bit, you know, so... Um, what what are the advantages of, of of now? Because you know you see you see a lot of instructors, you see a lot of facilities popping up, and you know correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm I'm seeing the kids that you know like my son's in six U. I see some of the kids in in six U white that are playing amazing, and those kids you know they they play in the academy, they practice with Mike, but then they're also taking instruction, they're doing like their parents have them like. Every single day, you know, like you mentioned, they, they continue the work even on non-academy days. 
So growing up, I do remember Pasquale around 11 or 12 is when I went from playing at the park at Highly Career League to international. Um, and actually, I spent a year before that with hardball um, before they moved even further south because I was born and raised in Hialeah. It was just too much of a community. It was once a right. week. So, you know, we, there was a handful of academies, Pasquale being one of the staple ones. Um, it was around for forever. Um, but nowadays, because it's so saturated, right? Like, like we mentioned, there was three, three leagues, three different parks with multiple fields and a handful of academies. And some of the parks that weren't utilized, like Palmer Park at the time or Continental Park, the academies would, you know, run their practices or programs out of there, and then they would play in the boys' club. Well, they took that model and kind of, you know, ventured into a business that was going to be more profitable because at the end of the day, it is a business. Uh, I read somewhere um, a business magazine or, or something where, you know, Youth baseball has become close to a billion-dollar industry, and in the next three years, is going to be wow. over two to three billion dollars in revenues year-round. I guess we got in at the right time, no? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think that because of the fact that you know there's no more drafts, kids, you know, as long as you can afford the dues and, and the monthly payments, you're going to be part of a team. Um, you can take a team and enter it into a league, and as long as you pay the league fee. Um, it's kind of saturated the market. So it's hard to get fields. It's hard to really run a team. Like what academy nowadays really has eight teams? International had six U, or not six U, seven and eights, nine and tens, 11 and 12s, 13 and 14, right? They had in the entire park, Tuesday, Friday, Sunday. I remember, I remember. There's, there, it's impossible to get a field now. Yeah, you can't. Impossible to get a field. So you're You can fighting, get a field before 6 p.m. You're fighting for fields, Right. Then it rains all the time. Think about it. In the afternoon, it rains. And, and yep. so you're fighting for fields. You're fighting for time. It rains. So it makes it really challenging to, to teach and to develop. So you, what you're doing is you're getting reps. You're running practices based off of the time that you have and what you need to do to be successful as a team or an organization. And then, you know, these facilities have been popping up because it's necessary for kids to get some training where I was lucky enough to have my dad. I would finish practice and then go to the field with my dad and practice and continue to do it. I did it all the way through college. You know, cages were available. That's the low percentage now, though. Now, now you can't like you can't go to a cage because they're going to kick yeah. you out. You know, you can't go to a field because there's soccer, football, baseball all going on at the same time. So I used to go to Malibu Castle Remember and hid there for like an hour. And nowadays it seems like mom and dad got to work. So their dad's not like, like I remember when I was out of Braddock, when I was like, what are you do? I'm going to try to FIU. Bro, every day at 2.30, I was on field three I in Tamiami. My dad hitting me buckets of grounders. Now that's very rare. Well, you started the segment off. You started the you segment know? off with uh, the fact that Miami is in the top five for for you know home values, right? So Miami's getting oh, expensive. Mama, that got to work. Very expensive. Miami's getting expensive. You got to work to to just be able to have some sort of life here in Miami. And as time goes on, if it keeps getting more and more expensive, yeah. parents are gonna have to work more and more. So then they got to find someone and somewhere that they can go again that's a good fit for their son. Or yep. daughter, because we train girls as well, that, you know, it's going to benefit their the development and the kind of baseball or softball path that they want to take. And it's necessary. Like, the two days of the academy is cool. That's your team. You're going to get the basics and you get the structure. But there's five other days in the week. 
you know what I'm saying? You better be putting in at least mm-hmm. at least one day with a private instructor or uh, two days, 30 minutes, 30 minutes or an hour. You better be at home throwing the ball around with dad. Like, in my opinion, like, yeah, once you're six, you seven, you're at a T-ball and, and you really like it. You know, it's either seven days or six days, bro. Yeah. Like, if you want to hang out Sunday or Saturday, whatever you want, you know, do it. But if you really like the sport, man, you got to you got to get after it. You know what I mean? And you right. got to find the right coach. So, yeah. And, and going back to our evaluation process, that that's that you hit it on the head. That's one of the things like we ask, what's your purpose? Why do you play baseball? Because if you're looking or expecting certain results in the game, then it's going to require you to do certain things in here that are going to be challenging. So you're going to be able to quickly show us, not by what you say, but how you respond if you're being honest with us or not as far as, like, what kind of player you want to be. Because everybody's going to do the easy stuff, right? When you start getting into the hard things like decision-making, timing, recognition, perhaps get into a, a certain position that doesn't feel normal, right, or, or doesn't feel comfortable, right? Are you willing to go through through the tough times? Are you willing to, you know, grind it out and, and knowing that it's going to make you better? Or are you going to try and pacify the situation, stay in your comfort zone and, and you know, hope – like, like we say, hopeful hitters, right? This, this isn't a magic trick. There's, there's things that, that you're required to do in order to get the results you're looking for. Coming once a week is a start, right? But you got to take what we do. You got to understand how you did it. So when you walk out those doors and you're working on your own, you can repeat the thoughts that led to the actions that led to the result. Teaching the, like, I guess, like the younger kids, because like I mentioned, my son plays 6U, and I know that there's six-year-olds taking, you know, taking private yeah, we lessons. Have, we have them here. Um, how, how do you see them, you know, like you said, they got to absorb it, walk out the door and repeat it. And, you know, sometimes with the little ones, it's a little bit more difficult to, you know, follow instruction once once you walk out the door. Yeah, and every, again, uh, it's always case by case. Every, every athlete is different. Every kid is different in the way that, you know, they mature and grow. Um, but with the young players, what we look at first and foremost is bat to ball skills, right? Yeah. You know, because we'll get players that come in here playing for the first time that just want to make sure that they start off doing things correctly and they build that foundation. So we got to, again, educate the parents that there's going to be a process. It's going to take some time. The main thing is that you don't get frustrated with it because there's going to be a lot of swing and misses. Um, there's going to be a lot of, you know, emotional sessions where the kid gets frustrated. But if he really enjoys it and he wants to get better, they're going to walk in here one day, and we've seen it with all of them that all of a sudden they walk in, they take a swing, and we're like, there it is. You know, it might have taken two months. It might have taken three, six. But ultimately, something's going to click, and then we see it. You know, so at a young age, what we want to do is just make sure that we teach good bat-to-ball skills, that they can identify, you know, good pitches to hit, balls and strikes, simple things like that, balance. And And then once you have that, you know, then you can start getting into some more specific stuff. But, again, you got to go you know, yeah. age to age and, and make sure that the player can handle the information you're giving them. I think also when you're dealing with like the, the fives, the sixes, the sevens, I'm, I agree with you. I work backwards. I, I don't really teach mechanics and, you know, we teach the basics. I work backwards. I work how good's your contact and then we'll, and then, and then we'll move backwards, you know. But I think that with those young guys, I think all of those things are great, but the biggest thing is getting them used to being part of a routine, having them understand you have your lesson today. They got to put the uniform mm-hmm. on. They got to show up to hitting 365. They got to walk through that door. They got to say hello to their coach. Then they got to listen and, and predict. And then if the kid leaves here and five minutes later, yeah, he's on his iPad or in la-la land, that's fine. But you establish establishing a lot of things with those five sixes and sevens. Hopefully when they get to the 
nines, tens, elevens, they're going to be exactly where you need them to be. But at those young ages, establishing them to understand, hey, you got a private today. Mm -hmm. You know, because my daughters, they do dance private. You got to focus. You got to listen. You got to work. You know, I, I think that's that's like for the young guys. It sets the tone. Ball, it sets the tone. Bat to ball right? king. But it sets the tone for a nice, solid future of understanding that, hey, if I want to be good at this, I have to work. You know? So I think yeah, and and huge. one of the one of the major things, like simple things, like that we have is that like tools or or training, um, you know, we call them guiding devices, like training tools. Like you got to make it fun for them. So there are there are kids, and routine is hard to establish because if they're coming in and doing the same thing, they get bored, right? So you got to deal with that factor as well. So how do we keep them engaged every time they come in? What can we bring in that that's kind of fresh and fun? that they're going to come in and get excited about. So, like, with the younger guys, we have a Hiko 6. It has three different colors. Hey, I call out of the color, you catch it, right? Nice. Um, we do little things with wiffle balls and, and PVC pipes, like, you know, stick ball. Like, you know, if you hit it, you stay. So that way they're working hand-eye coordination, bat-to-ball skills. We let them swing something real light as fast as they can. Until I want to hear the, that, that swooshing sound. Like, I want it louder, and you start pumping them up. So you, you change the, the routine per se, but the focus is the same, and that's on us to make sure that they're they're working on the same things, but you keep it fresh for them so that way they they get locked in, they're having fun, they're more likely to want to come back, right? And and through time, then you can start establishing a routine when they're ready, when you start pushing certain buttons and you see how they respond, then that's the time that you can really start diving into certain aspects of the swing and routines and, and whatnot. Eric, do you feel that you're, because I know I do, and I'm always saying it, but you feel like you're constantly learning. Yes. Every day. I feel that we wouldn't be where we were, where we're at today if we aren't, if we're not constantly learning as coaches. There's always things that, you know, through social media, again, there's so much information out there. I don't think it, you know, everybody needs to do the same thing, but sometimes I'll pick up a drill or a cue or something from a coach that, you know, from online, like, hey, that, that might work for this guy. Like, I, I constantly, you know, Go throughout throughout the day, like you're, you're checking, you know, you go through social media, you're scrolling through Instagram. You're like, oh, man, Drew's coming in today. That could help, you know, him get to this position or so-and-so is coming in today. And, you know, this is exactly what we were talking about. Let's see if it works. You know, why not try it? Worst case scenario, it doesn't scratch it, move on to something else. You know, like being able to think outside the box and get a little bit creative, even though it might be taboo. Um might work. So unless you try it, you never really know. And then ultimately, the, the one that needs to benefit from it is the player, not us. So, like, if we see that, that it works, why not continue to incorporate it as his daily routine, no matter what, you know, other people may think of? I remember when I, when I started giving lessons no one, um, it took some years, man. It took some years to kind of think outside of what I thought was perfect and what I thought I knew. You know, it took me, I, I remember, like, when I, when I got released out of Baseball in 05, and then, you know, I kept on with the lessons. I kept on learning. But when I started the academy in 2013, that I had to, like, do something different. Dude, it took me about two and a half years to understand I'm coaching little guys. I have to do creative things like that to kind of keep them entertained. But that's a learning person. That's a learning process, Eric. Yeah. Like, that's not no, something and, and that. And I, I commend you. I, I, you know? I, wouldn't, I still don't have the patience to do that age group. Like, we start typically around six or seven. Um, but when I was done playing and I, and I got into coaching, like, you know, we were talking earlier, um, initially I was doing catching lessons. Um, and it wasn't until 
so one of our catchers asked me to do a hitting lesson, and he started hitting, and of course they start multiplying. One turned into two, two turned into <laughs> four. Um, and I remember back in 2014, around there, because I, you know, hitting 365 opened up in 2013. So our first facility that was in the route, ZEP, which now is Blast Motion, but ZEP came out with a little, you know, same thing as Blast that goes on the knob. Um, and I thought it was cool. I didn't even know what any of the terms meant. You know, it was all the hitting metrics, all your swing metrics. But I didn't even know what it was. So, yes, we had to learn. I did have coaches I where we can film players and see certain things. But going back to, to that point in time and where we're at now, it's like, it was like teaching elementary. Like we were yeah. elementary school teacher. I didn't know yeah. anything. That's I didn't wild. know anything. So I remember grabbing a bat and doing exactly what we were taught, which is, you know, get on top, work down through the inside part of the ball, you know, going, you know, through extension, whatever. And I look at my numbers and they're, they're good, relatively good. And then the player that I'm trying to instruct takes that same cue, that same, you know, feeling that, that I created as my, as me as a player and it was all mangled, right? So it opened my mind to the fact that perhaps there are different ways to, to teach something and how to get guys to really create their best swing versus trying to, you know, shove something down their throat that they don't understand or not capable of doing it. And filming was an, a whole nother, you know, element to all of this because you thought you were doing something and then you film it and it's not. And then when you're teaching somebody to swing down and to get on top of the baseball and think about hitting ground balls to second base and they take it verbatim, they're going to chop. They're, they're going to go straight down. Base. They're, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're going to do that, right? So it's like how did we transition that into success? Because when we were hitting doubles in the gaps and, and home runs, we weren't swinging down. No. We might have, you know, that might have been felt the, that. Might have thought or felt it, but it wasn't. And you, you hear – a-Rod, Barry Bonds, you, you go on and on. A bunch of Hall of Famers talk about what their feel was. Now we know that that's not really the case, that perhaps is what they felt to repeat in action. But, you know, it, it again, it opened up a whole can of worms when, when we started realizing that the swing isn't down, the swing isn't, you know, like what we thought it was. And all of a sudden, you know, you start seeing – certain things in, that were introduced to the game and, and it continues to like ground force plates, you know, 3d models where, where you put little plots on you to see if you're sequencing. And, and I think it's great for development, but it's gotta be a little bit of a blend in hitting too, because of like hitting is not just a swing. You know, you take a long drive uh, golfer and, and you put them on a course, it's not the same, you know, so you can go in here and be, and be a good, you have a great swing, but you know, timing's an issue, recognition's an yeah. issue, decision-making's an issue. These are all things that make up a good hitter. So, you know, the times have changed, and most of, the, most of it is due to the, 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 you know, the information that's out there, the technology that's available now. So it's really just finding what works for you as an individual. With all of the hitting that, you know, the way you thought you used to hit and the way you're teaching it now and stuff like that, what are some of the f basics and fundamentals that are in every single style of, of hitting? You know, you got to be your head down. You got to, you, know, you got to be strong on your legs. Like what are your like basics that no matter how you're going to attack that ball, like what do you, what are things that have to be done by everybody? I think timing is the most important part. 
Um, you know, we we always when we get a new player, we talk about you know we're gonna work on our swing. You want to call it positions, mechanics, uh, sequencing, whatever. You know, we're gonna work on the swing. The second thing is timing, which is the most important part because if you're playing this game, you're constantly gonna make adjustments. You're constantly gonna be working your swing, and if you're really serious about it, you're gonna and you're gonna be trying to perfect something that is never gonna be perfect. You're chasing uh, the end of a rainbow. Basically, it's never going to be perfect. So what you're trying to do is find a way to repeat certain actions and get to the best positions possible to be adjustable, right? To, to be able to react when, when the pitch isn't where you exactly think it's going to be. Um, so to me, I would say timing is essential. Timing to me should be a big priority, especially with the young hitters, identifying if they're late, early or on time, and how to adjust based on what they're thinking because all of us as baseball players have expanded had swung at bad pitches but if you're on time you have a good chance to barrel it up so like don't don't tell me what your swing should have been or what you felt that you did wrong the first question we should always ask ourselves is were we on time and then did we get a good pitch right because everything else doesn't really matter you know if you're not on time and you didn't get a good pitch right the swing really doesn't come into play that's why i like working backwards especially with like the little guys like if if six year old kid is hitting the ball well and he's hitting his ball the ball well coming from here or whatever, I'm not gonna tell him anything. No. Keep hitting the ball, yeah. keep smoking. Our job, it. You know our what I job mean? with those young players is to make sure they're not yeah. doing things wrong. Yeah. You know, like that they're doing, they're repeating right. their actions and perhaps, you know, finding yeah. ways to improve a little bit here and there. Yeah, and find ways to get to the really good part of the baseball. You know, sometimes it looks like somebody's doing something real. I remember when I was with, with Cleveland, you know, Wayne Kirby was one of our coaches. Dude, Wayne Kirby used to hit with his hands by his hips. Yep. You know what I mean? And he was successful at it. Man, know? remember so. as kids, us imitating so many batting stances. Yeah. You know, Julio Franco, Mickey Tettleton, like they had weird like stances, but Ruben Sierra, they, they used to make it work. You know, um, Sheffield. Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there's so, so many of them. But Eric, I, I wanted to ask you because we, we've talked about it in Up and In many episodes, talked about it with Espy. You know, we're. It's like that balance between, like you said, what we were taught, you know, and you're, what, 39? Uh, I'll be 40, 40 in a couple of weeks, yep. 40 next week, actually. 44, 43. So, you know, we're around that same, you know, age range. We all grew up in the same time. Um, you know, we were taught a certain way. We did stuff a certain way. Like you said, now there's so much that, that you learn, so much uh, technology going into it. It's very different. My thing with it is, you know, like you, you mentioned Bonds, you mentioned A-Rod. These are guys that every year were hitting, you know, three-something, a whole bunch of home runs. Now that, you know, we're, we're teaching, like, the younger people a, a certain way of hitting, you know, let's say now in, in, in the major leagues, the way the, the managers are approaching it, the organizations are approaching it, I don't know if it's so much the hitting or the way that they're, they're approaching, you know, the players that they're getting – but you're seeing averages drop. You know, I, I go to the baseball stadium and I've told Mike the story. A cousin of mine came, well, my mom's cousin came from Cuba last year. And I told him, hey, I'm going to take you to a Marlins game. We went and we sat down and he looks up at the scoreboard and it's like the Marlins lineup you know, at the end of the season. But I, I think there might have been like four guys hitting over 200, forget, forget 300, over 200. And he goes, and I'm like, see, and he's like, 
what is this? So, you know, what what are you what are you seeing as as a as a hitting instructor that when they get to to that level, you know, in, in Major League Baseball, that's not really translating for these guys on on the field. So it, it, that's an interesting topic because there's so many factors, right? Um, when you when you talk about youth baseball and development, your the goal is to be successful at the you know level of play where us as coaches we think that player can reach, right? Mm -hmm. So we got to take that into consideration. So if you have an extremely gifted athlete, like we have a freshman that that I've told them straight up, like you can be a first round pick out of high school, oh. you have ridiculous power as an eighth grader who's hitting balls, upper 80s exit velo, no problem. Like effortless power, hitting home runs on the backfield in spring training and perfect games as an eighth grader. And this is a very strong athletic kid, six foot, 180 pounds already. Um, so that type of player, you're going to push a little different than you would a player that's trying to enjoy his high school season, perhaps, you know, play college baseball, but a more academic uh, setting or environment. Right. Um, so it, it's tough, you know, and I think like, like Mike brought up, like we constantly learn. So instead of trying to teach everybody to be this type of hitter, well, let, let's make you the best hitter that you can be. Right. And let's take your strengths and find ways to, to improve upon them instead of trying to force you to become this type of hitter that perhaps that is not the reason why you're playing baseball. You know, it's the playing in the big leagues is not what motivates you being around your friends and, playing uh, high school baseball and the camaraderie, that could be the reason why. So let's make sure that us as coaches that we, you know, focus on the things that they need to work on, but also make it enjoyable and not push them to a point where they don't want to play. At the big league level, my dad and I have this, like, discussion, not argument, borderline argument, but discussion <laughs> all the time. Like, so think about it. We had, growing up, the, the big three in Atlanta, Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox, right? Take Maddox, who was a wizard on the mound, and now add 15 miles an hour. That's, what, that's what's going on in baseball. Yeah. Like, think yeah. about it. Like, Greg Maddox was one of the best pitchers in his time, right, because he was able to move the ball to both sides of the plate with command at 85, 88. Like, nowadays, that's, that's, that's not even a Friday night starter at, at a Division One college. When you think about it, 88 miles an hour when, when, when we played high school, you're probably going top three rounds. Right, you're you're going high. And if you hit ninety, face, if you hit uh, ninety, ninety-one, first round for sure. Yeah. Dude, I remember facing David Gill, bro, from Braddock, and he was throwing ninety-one. You're thinking, God damn, yeah. you know. I mean, so like, so damn. the the thing is now, again with with all this information, all this technology that can capture stuff, I feel that that they've taken some of the old school mentality and been able to measure it. So we didn't have flight scope or hit tracks to see how hard we hit it. You had a bat ball on a fence, hit it over the fence, yeah. right? We didn't have radar guns, like, grab a ball, throw it as hard as you can. You know, so we were promoting the same kind of, you know, teaching without the information or technology. So we're out there long tossing, throwing the ball as hard as we can. That's, that's basically what a driveline program is, uh, you know, with a little bit of science behind it. But grab this ball, throw it as hard as you can. Spin and turn around, throw it as hard as you can. You know, shuffle as far as, run, sprint, throw it, throw it as hard as you can. At the end of the day, you're throwing the ball as hard as you can. So if you start to throw the ball hard every time, so what? When you throw the ball, it's going to be hard, right? And if you start working out and you start putting on weight and you're getting stronger, right, you're going to throw hard. And the same goes for hitting. If you're swinging with intent, your body starts to fire 
correctly, right? You start the sequence. Now we start talking into some of the details in the swing. Um, but there, there's no way to ever catch up to pitching. So you got movement, sink, and run at nine, upper 90s to 100. You got 102 with, with sink. It's impossible to hit. Of course, people are going to strike out. Of course, averages are down. Mm. So you, the chances are you either walk or you, you, you're hunting a certain pitch and they make a mistake. And when, again, if we're on time and we got our pitch, good things happen. So yeah. now you're in scoring position or, or, or driving in a run. Yeah, man. Absolutely. And you, and you only have 60 feet, six inches to make yeah. a decision. But I think, but, but, but going back to what you were saying, home runs are up, strikeouts are up, averages are down. And we've talked about it before. I think the one thing that, that's been lost and everything is the two-strike approach, Eric. Well, I, I, Eric, we've lost it. So we've lost it. We've I, lost I it could argue both. I could argue. You know I, I could mean? argue both sides. Like nobody's competing. Like Arias with two strikes. To, I could. I could. Arias you know, is, is one yeah, is an anomaly. He's an outlier. Like, but nobody's you, making adjustments with two strikes anymore. So, but that's why. But I, I can know. argue both. I could argue both points. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, you got high velocity with a ton of movement. You get defensive, it makes it worse. Right. So you either stick to your plan, and and that's your plan, and you're and you're gonna go down swinging or taking because. It is what it is, or then you get kind of defensive and you put it in play, but you're going to get out, right? Like, you might get a weak hit here and there, but, you know, I, I, I see your point, but this I also... Many, but many strikeouts, though. The but we never... But we didn't, we didn't face 97. We Like, the other day, there was uh, the hardest change-up thrown ever in, in the history. It's like 94 miles an hour. A 94-mile-an-hour <laughs> circle yeah, change yeah, out crazy. of the hand. Crazy. So like yeah, but there's got to be an adjustment made. Something. I think it's. Strikes. I think. I think it's, I it's know, nice. I, I don't think, know, but I think it's nice to hear. It's I, just, I, damn, I think it's you know? you know, it's it's our mindset. I think it's something that is hard for us to get away from. But dealing with it and training professional hitters, guys in the big leagues or in the minor leagues. Yeah, to have a two like strike approach. We talked to like, like Coco got to the big leagues this year, right? And we worked on his swing for the first you know year or two. We got it to where it was consistent. Is his average was consistent. His production started increasing. Went from a 260 average and 14 home runs, 29 doubles. Same batting average next year. Same amount of homers. Almost 40 doubles, 39 nice. doubles. Well, then all of a sudden, we start working decision-making, right? We start really hunting the, the regions where he does damage. It gets to a point where even when we're working in here, we're doing front toss. If I don't throw it in a zone, he doesn't swing. He would prefer to strike out looking. Because the ball is not in the zone that he's looking for, so it doesn't go away from like his approach, his timing, his sights. So that that's how hard it's gotten, you know. Yeah, and and guys like like you mentioned, um, Arias, like those are those are one in a million, you know. Guys and at this level that that can hit over three fifty. I don't know where he's at now. Um, hey, he's about three fifty. Yeah, so well, that that, that is that that. That's one player, and we can't yeah. we can't really yeah, use one player but, as the the. But we gotta do a better job with two strikes, though. <laughs> just overall, bro. Just overall, it's it's just you know, especially with a runner on third, less than two outs. Yeah, like, if it's a playoff game, you know, I get it. That runs important, but you see a different approach. Where, I mean, Mike mentioned a rise. In, in his approach to hitting than, say, like a, a, a Joey Gallo, because he's he reminds special, me a lot man. of he's, what we grew up with. He's, he's a contact guy. He's one of right? one. He's, he's one, one of one. one. He's, he's yeah. a high contact rate. That guy, and, and, and to be honest, like, the higher level of player that I, the higher level of player that, that, that we've trained in here, the more I 
identify or, or see like how well this guy sees the baseball. It's Crazy. something that, again, from low A, double A, triple, as you move up, their ability to see the ball and and make decisions is is through the roof. So I know that you know metrics right now and and, and batted ball metrics, swing metrics, and data is is how you kind of gauge a player or assess a player based on their, their their information their data but there's one thing that that can't you can't measure is, is that is like how well they see the ball you know and and it's one of the things that i know major league baseball going back to the strikeouts is trying to figure out is that which is something that we do here daily is is try and find ways to control the strike zone try and find ways to hunt mistakes early in the count you know and and, and make pitchers work for it Versus going up there and just swinging at strikes because it's a strike, you know. Like it's a lot easier said than done that to go up there with yeah. a two strike approach when 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 guys are elevating elevating fastballs at 100 miles an hour and then throwing a slider down and away at 92. You know, it's it, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's something. Hard. An adjustment, small yeah. adjustment. I mean, listen, don't, maybe don't not, miss early. That that would maybe, be the adjustment. Maybe, maybe <laughs> not. May, maybe not. Like you know, I don't need Aaron Judge to make a two strike approach, but the certain guys, like yeah, Corbin Carroll. Of the Arizona, he's got a nice little approach at two strikes. You know, like I think every team's got to have at least one or two or three makeup guys in certain parts of the lineup, like that should you know try a little harder with two strikes, bro. Like yeah. certain, certain guys, I'm not talking about everybody, but like yeah, like Lemayhew yeah. a few years ago, yeah, like you know, just certain guys got to try to do a little more to help the team, you know. But I think that's why strikeouts are super up. Well, and, it, the, and guys are throwing crazy, yeah, ridiculous. Like, uh, they they put you up know, a stat. Crazy, Who was bro. it? Uh, the Schorber. Schorber and somebody else. How Schorber was hitting one something. One something, yeah. but his OPS was yeah. like yeah. 900. No, and he's got 45 home runs and 45 hits. So when it's crazy. As a, as a business owner, right, if I own the team, that guy's producing more than the guy yeah. with 300, about 300 batting yeah. average and less strikeouts. Because yeah. let, let, let's face it, okay, the guy that's hitting 300 gets the first, but he's not driving in runs, right? Because unless you got a speedy guy at first or a speedy guy at second, you got a hit. Yeah, they're not going to do their job. So, you like, know? At the, the way, you know, offense is looked at now is by by production, right? And and what's, what, what is it more exciting than a home run? You got Aaron Judge leading so, off. Yeah. yeah. So think about it. Like, and again, Listen. arguments with my dad. Like, yeah, I say Aaron Judge leading off. I said, no, primer bate. I'm like, he's gonna get more well, bats. guess what? He's going to get five at-bats, yeah. not four. So, and if you do the math, if he's hitting a home run every eight to ten at-bats. More runs. That's more runs. So he yeah. might have not got you this game, but the next game he might get two because those are the numbers. That's what stats I are. I remember when I was in the minors, um, going back to the Velos, you know, your starters were were guys you can handle. You know, your starters were 88 to 92, 93, tranquilo. Then the middle relief guy came a little harder. Then the closer came maybe 95. But I, I, didn't, I never ran into anything over like 97. 97 I saw once in my five years. But it seems like now it's everybody. It's everybody. Well, the starter is throwing 100. The guy in relief is throwing 100. The guy closing is throwing 100. And from and, all different angles yeah. and different sides. And back in the day, you know, dude, there was a lot of guys that were throwing, like, like the low 80s, like Jamie Moyer. Yeah. Jamie yeah. Moyer, you know, Cliff Lee. Like, you, there was a lot of guys that were, that were creative like pitch, guys that, that, can, that, can, that can really pitch. That can like pitch and locate. Houston had this guy, Keiko. That, yep. that guy was, you know, that was very effective. But it seems like nowadays, it's, and it starts, I think, with the recruiting. You, you're throwing 90 in high school, no one's going to, uh, you got to be, like, running it up there now. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, 
Well, we could be here all day talking, talking about all this. But before we wrap up, I wanted to go back to you know your your playing years. Once you once you got to to high school, what was that like? Because you know at that point, I'm sure you you probably identified and had people telling you like, hey man, you you have you have a feature in this. You're probably gonna be, play D1, probably get drafted at some point. When when did when did that happen? When did those conversations start? That's a funny. That's funny you bring that up because that that's. It's actually the opposite. Like, I remember coming up in high school thinking that why, you know, why don't why don't I get that recognition that other players get? And I didn't understand it um, when we would get on the field and I'd outperform, uh, you know, an opponent or something. Um, so it was always something that drove me. I'm, I'm extremely competitive. Um, but to be honest, I really didn't get that recognition in high school. I did get it behind the plate as a catcher. Uh, but not as an overall player. I was, you know, for a fact, I knew I wasn't going to get drafted out of high school. People would tell me, you're your D1 kind of guy. Like, you're going to catch, but you got to develop as a hitter, and there are certain things that I needed to do to get better. Um, but it wasn't until I got to college, right? And then after the summer of my freshman year, I'm playing in the Valley League. I remember the last couple last couple games, last week of the season, our coach up there, he's at West Virginia Tech now, Coach Ness, um, gave me a couple simple pointers. Like, hey, look, I seen you tried a bunch of things out. Let's do this. Spread out. Get your chest down, which is very similar to what we promote now. So, you know, get into your legs. Create some sort of hip hinge. So, like, that's those are the terms we would use now. Right, a little bit of a tilt, and now I had some space, and it was you know I was starting to drive balls up the middle the other way. Like I haven't like immediately, right? And again, we didn't have film. We didn't have technology. It was based on feel and thinking about how to repeat what you felt, right, that led to the outcome that you've been looking for. Now, I tell players in, in, in passing and try to make light of the situation, like, we're not Google. Like, you, you can't wait for us to say good or bad, yes or no. Like, we've already explained what you need to do as a player, and it's on you to kind of establish your feeling. Um, but for me, it wasn't until college, until my sophomore year, where I finally, you know, got the, the starting job, hit 300, you know, a handful of homers, and then the next summer, I, things really started clicking, right? I, I had an approach. I, I had a plan at the plate because, yeah, I was a big, strong kid. I could hit homers in BP. Um, I was a good catcher, but I never really had a plan at the plate. Once I started establishing a plan and started trusting my plan and, and having a better understanding of what I'm doing, started to develop, and then I started to get some, you know, some recognition towards my junior year because even then – you know, we had Baseball America that would come out. We didn't, you know, it wasn't like you can search up stuff on Perfect right. Game or nothing. We had to wait a, once a month to get the Baseball America and see where you ranked. And yep. I remember cutting it out. I was at the bottom of the list and, and making it a point to, like, just start, you know, crossing names out and, and keep working up in the ranks. And it eventually led to um, being in the top 10 or something like that for the Johnny Bench Award, um, you know, having a really good junior year. And, and even then, like, I remember sitting with scouts. I had, like, eight homers. I had, like, 350, like, a little bit more past the, the halfway point of the season. And they were still knocking, like, oh, you haven't hit home runs off of anybody. Yeah, you know, this and that. <laughs> so, you know, Weaver comes in on a, on a Friday night. Everybody's there. His first round, uh, first pick overall. And, and I was hunting him. He got me three times the, the year before. I, you know, struck out. I wasn't, you know, nowhere near ready to hit it. A, picture like that but my junior year my confidence was there I had a better plan I was more mature about you know how to handle certain you know things at the plate um 
And I got them. And after that, you know, that's when I started getting some recognition. Uh, the fact that, like, you know, I was putting up numbers. I was producing more each year. And you take, you know, my strength as a catcher now. That's kind of what, what, what got me the chance to get drafted by the Expos. And you were part of some, some great teams over at the University of Miami. How, how was that experience? Um, I always say Miami was the best time, uh, as far as a player goes, is the best time of my life, best three years. Uh, we got in my, my freshman year. They had just won the national championship. So I'm seeing these guys and, and thinking to myself, like, how am I going to play here when I just saw these guys win a World Series on TV? A couple of these guys are, you know, Team USA members, right? And, and you go in there and you see them, in, you know, in the locker room and, and you're just like, wow, you know, how am I going to play here? And then all of a sudden you go out to the field and you start going through through your warm ups, and you start you know seeing them out there, and you're like, I compete against these guys. You know, I'm just as good as these guys. So, um, whether you're ready to play, that's a whole different story. But as far as uh, ability goes, you start to, to to recognize like, all right, I can hang here. So it's just learning how to really play the game, what my role was going to be as as a catcher, as a you know, ultimately leading into being a captain on the team my junior year, like communicate with the pitcher. So the little things that require to be a ball player, you know. So um, it was fun, man. Those three years we played, you know, I had Kevin Howard, who's a farm director. Um, Ryan Braun, who I spoke to yesterday, we were kind of working together. He's got an app for for development that, that we're going to start, you know, kind of venturing into. Uh, John Jay, who ended up hitting with us in his last three or four years of his career. Chris Perez, all-star closer, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Paco's with the Phillies as a coach. Yep. Gabby Sanchez, all-star with the Marlins. So we had a very, very talented team. I think like 12, 13 guys drafted overall. Um, my my class, that 2004 class, and then it got better, I think, the the following year with Bron going first round, Gabby Sanchez, um, Chris Perez, Zach Main. So, like, my, you know, it was big talent. We, we all shared a common goal. Um, we wanted to win a World Series. We wanted to get drafted. We pushed each other. We were we were really a family. So that those were the, the best years that, that I had as a baseball. Those player. were thick years at UM. Oh, yeah. Their years plus the years before Burrow Hill. Like when I played against, oh, those were some thick years. We lost. UM, yeah, both. My, yeah, my sophomore junior year, I think we lost a combined twenty four games. Like in two years, we're like forty and twelve. Made it to the World Series twice. We we're number. We wrapped up number eight my sophomore year. We were one and two for most of the year my junior year. Um, and, you know, we fell short of it. But, man, what, what a ride. What a blast. You know, and, and the relationships and the memories and the friends. Like, you know, I haven't talked to Brown since Kevin Howard's wedding. We flew out to, to San Diego. I find out that he's the founder of the app because I got a call, a call from one of their reps. And um, dude, you talk, we, we talked like, like it was yesterday. Like we were just, you know, awesome. working out and, and, like, nothing's ever changed. Just the fact that. Both have kids, and you know, uh, it, it's, it's a little different life. But but it, you always share that. There's, that's, there's a bond there that you don't you don't really lose. The ultimate connector, man. Sports, yeah. you know, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful community. You know, when Absolutely. when it's done the right way, you know. And then you you get you get drafted. You go through through the minors. How was that experience? I know that experience is different for for well, everybody. I mean, I've I've talked. Mike has, you know, told, told me his story a countless amount of times, but... See, my, yeah, my professional experience is the... I didn't have a good one. So the, the nightmares, the, the all the negative things that you hear, like, kind of happened to me. I, it, I, to be honest, I kind of have, like, PTSD there about that time. I, I have a hard time remembering things. Like, there's, you know, those five years, like, were really rough mentally, physically, emotionally... 
Um, I've never been hurt. You know, I've always worked, you know, outworked players. I worked, you know, I did my, made sure that I did everything possible to win a job and keep a job. And even through small injuries, I, I played through it. And I get to, you know, I get to sign. I have September call up in the contract because Major League Baseball owned it. So it was tough to negotiate a, a better signing bonus. I got slot. I got additional money to go back to, to school and get my, my, uh, my degree. Um, so three weeks into it, I call for a slider. Guy throws a sinker. There goes a thumb, right? So I'm out. I miss September call up. I miss 40-man roster. I miss big league camp. Come back. Buster Posey play, I got trucked, broken fibula, out for another year. Um, still going to big league camp. They're still pushing. I'm going to big league camp. I got added to the roster. I remember I could play three or four innings before the pain would kick in, and it was in 2007 where I finally was healthy. I come back to spring training. I'm in shape, and guys like Ian Desmond, Ryan Zimmerman, you know, they're like, oh, so this is the type of player you are. Because for the last three years, man, like, we were wondering, why would we draft this guy in the second round? But it was just because I was hurt. And in my, in my mind, I was the same player. But clearly, one of our teammates are saying, like, hey, man, you, you look like you were hurting. You know, like, right. you're going through some battles, and you're not performing the way you should. Then, then you, you want to contribute. You want to continue to move up in, in, in the ranks. But, you know, the, the last blow was a blood clot. I, I'm in AAA one day throwing. Paul Menhart's our pitching coach. He was in the big leagues, and he ended up being in the big leagues with, with the Nationals, won a ring that year. Um, and he's like, hey, Petey, what's wrong? I was like, I don't know, Paul, but I had this pain in my armpit. I can't lift up my arm, but don't say anything. I've been, you know, battling injuries. I'm finally on the field, healthy. And after the game, I had a blood clot. They found out I had a blood clot, emergency surgery. Wow. I had a piece that went into one of my lungs that if it would have gone harder Oof. in my brain, I played through it. I threw two guys out. Everything. And, I, and it was, it was, I couldn't get the fork in my mouth. That was the, the final. I'm like, I got to go somewhere. Because I was trying to, my arm was purple and huge. Um, so, like I said, man, my professional experience was really rough. Uh, I didn't, it wasn't enjoyable, unfortunately. Um, and it, it's something, it's a time in my life that, that I've kind of like blocked off a little bit and really gravitate to my experiences in college. Um, but as of lately, we talked about, you know, we're in the same age. I'm about to be 40. I feel like life or the universe something has has brought me to where where i'm at today where we're at today and i feel like this is the like my purpose my purpose is to help these kids navigate kind of their baseball careers right whatever journey it is that that they want to take on um and we take on our experiences we continue to learn right as coaches so that way we can help our players better right um and it's, it seems to be always constantly growing, always finding innovative ways to, to grasp the hitters and, and the players' attention and set them, their minds right and the reasons why we're all doing this. So, um, you know, at the same time where I was very bitter at one point, I've come to realize, like, this is kind of what my purpose is. As much as I wanted to be a big league baseball player and, and I really love the competition, um, I feel like I, I'm, I'm on this planet to, to help kids to help players navigate their careers based on my experiences and talk to them the, the way that I would have liked to have been talked to, like by giving you the hard truths, you know, by telling you what it is, explain to you what you can and can't control. Do not get frustrated because this is a situation you're in. You can control your mindset, control, you know, the things that you can control. And then we work on the things that we need to work on to get you to where you want to get to. Um, so, yeah, you know, you know, no matter what your experience is at life, 
you know, you're you're in a good place with your business, married, kid, you know, it's it all turns out for the better, man. Yeah. No, and this is our third facility, man. I'm so excited to, to have the opportunity to work here. It's, you know, we got everything we kind of need with a weight room. You know, people drop in and out like Vic Garcia painted painted our walls who used to be, he was a, uh, at the time when we were in Miami, he was a couple years younger than us, so he was always at the fields, always at the games, and I ran into him somewhere, um, and we started talking, we exchanged numbers, and he saw that I posted something, and he's like, hey, let's go in there and draw on the wall, so like, in fact, we got a local artist with some pretty cool, like, uh, artwork on the walls, we got That's a full cool. weight room PT, like, you know, thinking about the, the how, how it came up when doing lessons at a park, you know, yep. for $30, you know, yep. doing it one by one and, and whatnot. And to, to have over 120 kids here in our program of staff with PT, weight room, uh, awesome. strength coach, uh, different guys. Give us incredible. the details, man. What's the address here? Give us the details. Uh, we are located at 7321 Southwest 45th Street. Uh, you can follow us at Hitting365 on all social media platforms. My email, if you ever want to contact me, is esp at hitting365.com. And if you want to call and ask about, you know, you have any questions, my phone number is 305-978-2514. We thank you, man. You ten, know, tenth uh, anniversary. Tenth anniversary. Right? For anniversary. both of us, man. For ten both years. of us. A little yeah. celebration. But listen, um, from one coach to another, man, we appreciate what you're doing. You know, impacting lives and, and, and working for the... No, this was these kids, yeah, no, this was fun, man, and and right. um, from you to me because you got the little ones, and once they start getting into a certain age, man, it'd be a good, a good way, a good little feeder system. So sounds absolutely, good. yeah. Hit up Eric, hitting three six five and eight. Thank you, thank you for joining us here at Up and uh, In. Hey, no he's problem, DD no approved, problem. baby. He's DD approved. <laughs> Bring your players to him. <laughs>